This week's episode is brought to you by S.C. Odinson and Son, makers of Replicator Raid. Developed by top scientists at the underground, well-hidden, forgotten laboratories of Samaria, Replicator Raid is guaranteed to act fast. Spray an infested passageway or cabin with Replicator Raid and watch the little critters writhe in agony and explode with an amusing... Be sure to stock up with our two-for-one sale, which you'll need because this stuff doesn't actually stop them for long. But hey, it'll stop them for a moment. And a moment is all you have need. A moment is all you need. Our thanks to S.C. Odinson and Son for sponsoring this episode. What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 Lock. <laughs> Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 71, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, The First Ones. We are an independent podcast. You can help keep the thing independent if you so choose, and if you are able, and if you so choose. By going to Patreon, uh, we have a pretty normal Patreon-y thing. No, we have a subnormal Patreon situation because we're both still, thank goodness, employed and doing our things. Um, hence, this is just a bit of a hobby, but you can find it on patreon.com slash walking through the stargate smushed all together as one word spelled as it should be uh we've got uh, uh we got tiers of things that we're probably gonna adjust we said we were gonna do that before um i i plead i plead life uh life life is life is life is busy anyway uh we're gonna be futzing with that a little bit but uh if you like i said have the ability and desire uh every dollar that is being contributed currently is going to zach's computing device uh, which is our goal until further notice. Um, yep. And we do have, uh, there's tiers and then there's like goals. And if we hit certain goals, then we'll do certain things like go watch a terrible animated series. And I'm not going to put my eyes on that thing until we get to that goal, Zach, because uh, from everything that the world tells me, uh, I'll want to gouge my eyes out after <laughs> watching that thing. Uh, I'm sure it's and, not that bad. It's oh, not that mm-hmm. bad. And so uh, those episodes, be should we bad. ever get there? Would be on the Patreon a Patreon feed, but very importantly, the main show, the big stuff, the real the real McCoy uh, is always going to be available where you can find podcasts. Uh, we have absolutely no intention of making this thing a paywall situation. Google Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Podcast Aggregators, uh, anywhere you can find a podcast, you can do that. Uh, and uh, and Zach, if a person wants to uh, hear me say a special thank you uh, for jumping upon our Patreon. Um, they should jump on a Patreon. Uh, I'm trying to find a good way to do the segue. If oh, they uh, talk about the email, yeah, uh, yeah. go ahead okay. and just talk about. <laughs> just do okay. the emails. Out. Yeah. So if you want to get a hold of us, uh, <laughs> there are lots of different ways you can do that. Uh, uh, one, you can go to Facebook and and find us on our Facebook page and the Facebook group, Walking Through the Stargate, uh, just as it is spelled uh, you can also find us on twitter at stargate walking and of course you can email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com mm-hmm. that is w-a-l-k-i-n-g-t-h-r-o-u-g-h-t-h-e-s-t-a-r-g-a-t-e at gmail.com yep super and easy. then of course there's the patreon uh patreon.com slash walking through the stargate you might notice a theme there's this walking through the stargate theme in everything so yeah yeah we um we like to keep it consistent yep yep <laughs> <laughs> so yeah brent yes this episode is called the first ones and shall mm-hmm. we dig into it yeah let's do it okay so the director for the first ones is peter deloise yay and the teleplay for this episode is also peter deloise mm-hmm. 
Uh, this is Peter's first writing credit for Stargate SG-1. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, it I guess I didn't may be even one of his first writing credits, period. I'm not certain. Um, but he certainly didn't think of himself as a writer until mm, mm-hmm. at least this episode. Uh, however, he will have written or been part of the story credits for 15 episodes, if I my count is correct, of SG-1 and a couple in Atlantis as well. So nice. we'll see his okay. name pop up in this category a bit. Uh, as for the Peter DeLuise watch, I did not notice him. Uh, I'm not saying he's I, not there. I just didn't see him. So there was, there was a moment right at the beginning. Um, a soldier uh, took a shovel of dirt and put it in a pan and then took a few steps, threw his shovel into a pile of spoil and then walked off. And I thought, aren't you going to, aren't you going to sift through that thing? Your job was to put a shovel of dirt on a thing and walk away. And then I was (laughs) saying, is that Peter DeLuise? And then I started, and then I didn't notice the directing card, but I did notice the written by card. Right. So I was just sitting there like, I wonder if that was him. So Uh, you couldn't see his head at all. So there was absolutely no way for me to know one way or the other, but that was my guess. There you go. Um, we do have a couple of guest actors worth talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is Jason Chombing. He returns as Dr. Robert Rothman. Um, oh, Dr. And, Rothman. And uh, he's the, the archaeologist, paleontologist, old guy that, well, not old guy, but, but guy who studies old things. Yeah. Who, who got killed. Who oh. got killed. <sighs> well, he got shot with a P90 several times in his chest. Yeah. You I do mean, the math. He yeah, also yeah. was, you know, infested by a Goa Wuld at the yes. time. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um, yeah. So, uh, however, uh, there is another guest actor. Well, so there's two more guest actors that I want to highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, one was... Uh, and now I didn't write this down, so I'm going to have to do this off my memory. And I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, but uh, when they were in the... Uh, when they're on the planet and there's that group of SG personnel who mm-hmm. were at the gate guarding the gate, mm-hmm. the main guy, the guy there who did the little talking that was there, uh, you know, Sergeant, Sergeant? so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, that actor, we've actually seen him before. He's been in at least a couple other episodes before this. Mm-hmm. Um, but he will actually come back later on as a completely different character uh, for a story arc of some variety uh, in like the ninth season. So gotcha. we'll see his face again as mm-hmm. uh, somebody completely different. And mm-hmm. that's what, as mm-hmm. I was watching it this time, I'm like, wait a second, I recognize that face. Hey, it's that and guy. I had to look at, yeah. And I had to look at, I think that's that guy. And then I had to look it up and I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. it was. <laughs> uh, but I didn't actually write that in my show notes, so I don't know specifically uh, who that is. Uh, however, I did write a little bit about Dion Johnstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about him in the past. He mm-hmm. played uh, Captain Nelson in the episode Rules of Engagement. Yep. Uh, he also played Naomak. Uh, this was the Apophis character when they were in uh, Jolinar's mem- Memories and the Devil You Know. Yep. Uh, before he revealed himself as Apophis. Yep. Um, he was one of the aliens in Foothold. Uh, hmm. Uh, you remember that episode? That's uh, mm. the aliens take over the SGC, and uh, Carter goes and has to talk with Mayborn to get help. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Remember. I just don't remember what they look like, but they were probably oh, they were heavily processed. This, this. Oh yeah, they, right? they 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 looked kind of yeah. like. Uh, oh yeah, 
um, I don't know, reptiles or, yeah. or like sea creature type things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like there's some, uh, like, like the the face that I have in my head, I keep, the word keeps popping in my head of Chevron and I kind of mean it like in the like medieval helmet kind of way, that little knot. Yeah, or, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah kind of like that. Um, and of course, he is here playing Chaka. Uh, yeah. The, the Unas that we meet. Um, I don't have any specific information right now about Dion. Uh, I talked more about him in the episode Rules of Engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, I don't know if you'll be happy to know this or not, but I'll tell you this. Uh, we will see Dion Johnstone again in several more episodes, uh, mostly with prosthetics, some as Chaka and some mm-hmm. as other folks. So Chaka Ooh. will return. Oh, that was a good spoiler. I know. I, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> All right. So uh, that is Dion Johnstone. Uh, the original air date for the first ones was August 18, 2000. Number one on the charts in the U.S. was still incomplete by Cisco. Yeah, okay. And in the U.K., they were listening to Melanie C. singing, I Turn to You. I don't remember this song. So the rules were, the rules apply. But Melanie C., I'm like 90% sure she's a Spice Girl. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that's more information than I had. So yeah. I'm learning stuff. So um, so uh, I have an opinion about what this song is probably going to be like. Okay. But you probably have an opinion, too, just from that title. Uh, it's probably going to be your standard uh, R&B love song. I think, that, I think that's a good, yes, I think it's a good angle. Yep. So, you know, as we listen to I Turn to You, I will give you the top five in the box office. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number one is The Cell. And of course, when you're in The Cell, you really only have one or two people to turn to. So there you go. Uh, And of course, when you're in a cell and you only have one or two people to turn to, you really think of yourself as the original kings of comedy because who else (laughs) is going to be a king of comedy? That's number two. Uh, And, you know, when again you're in The Cell and you're turning to the other person, uh, there really is only one place you hope to be, and that's in space with cowboys. Um, and of course, <laughs> of course, while you're in space, wishing that you weren't in space, or or not in space, wishing you were in space as a cowboy, really the only thing you want is to find somebody to replace you. The replacements round up number four. <laughs> and and after having gone somewhat crazy, you're stuck in your cell. You just figure, I wonder what lies beneath my floor. So there you go. Nicely done. Nicely. Okay. So I know that we end up kind of evolving bits on this show by accident, but I got to tell you, listening to you try to assemble the box office hits based off of the UK number one has been absolutely delightful. (laughs) (laughs) It's been delightful. Well, good. (laughs) I'm glad you have enjoyed it. It's been fun. It's been fun. And and of course, I don't think about that until right now. So this is totally off the top of my head as we go along. That's right. That's right. Um, so real sometimes it works. Sometimes it does <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what was happening at around this time? Mm-hmm. Well, on August 18th, the day this episode airs, the federal mm-hmm. a federal jury finds the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency guilty of discrimination against Dr. Marsha Coleman Adebayo under the mm-hmm. Civil Rights Act of 1964, later inspiring uh, passage of the No Fear Act. Mm-hmm. I don't know that, but... Uh, 
yeah. I was don't remember that at all. Also on August 18, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich, who was 57, weds former congressional aide Callista uh, Bizzik, who was 34, in Alexandria, Virginia. And I don't remember specifically the wedding, but I remember Newt Gingrich. Yep. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. And we'll leave it at that. All right. And then a couple of days later, on August 20, uh, during the PGA Championship Men's Golf Tournament uh, in Valhalla, uh, GC, what is that, uh, golf club? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just stuck on Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, at this event, Tiger Woods becomes the first person since Ben Hogan to win three majors in a single calendar year. Uh, he wins back-to-back PGA titles in a three-hole playoff with Bob May. So this was right. This was the. Um, so I think that he, Tiger Woods, was like charging to the four in like what was it, ninety-seven? I think it was. So like this is like heyday. This is this is the moment where Tiger Woods is going to shatter every single golf record that exists. Yep. And then he has his own personal meltdown. And his back and, melts down. Yep. And between those two factors, he just kind of stops. Yep. But he's come back. Sort uh, of. Barely. Uh, there's, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, he won the Masters last year, I think. Um, and uh i don't follow golf but i do follow sporty ball uh enough to know that his name hasn't been popping up an awful lot um so he'll probably eke out i mean he's right up there with the top record holders in just about every single category but it but he got there so fast that it looked like everything was just going to get blown apart and then he's completely plateaued and you know it's almost a certainty that he'll be right up there but all those records are going to be tantalizingly close still like if he if he gets them, it'll be by by like one or two. You know what I mean? Like it's not gonna yeah. be a complete blowout, yep. as it looked like it might have been. But anyway, carrying yep. on, carrying on. So we do have some trivia for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode marks the first appearance of the P ninety. Uh, this of course replaces the MP fives that were used prime uh, before. Oh this. yeah. Uh, this is valuable because uh, the P ninety then becomes the primary weapon for SG personnel basically moving forward into the series. So you will see a lot of the P90 moving forward, and you won't see much of anything else. Gotcha. Um, Of course, when Daniel pulls the bullet out of Chaka's hand, he mentions Androcles and the lion. Uh, It's worth noting that this is a story from, uh, is it Greek or Roman mythology? Uh, Roman, probably. Uh, uh, Androcles? Wouldn't that be Greek? I don't yeah, know. Be Greek, probably. And, and is it? Are we talking about the mouse and the lion? I don't know. I'll look. No, at no. Androcles is is Who's the Androcles? man who gets you know runs away and he finds himself in a cave and and uh, he turns turns out the cave is the den of a lion and he removes a thorn from the lion's paw and the lion uh, becomes tamed towards Androcles and shares food with him and they become friends. Years later, later Androcles returns to Rome. This is why I'm thinking it's Rome because this is what I'm writing. Oh, here. gotcha. Uh, he's a fugitive slave. He's condemned to death. He's sent to uh, die in the arena. And, of course, the beast that is sent to kill him happens to be the same lion that he uh, saved earlier. And so the lion doesn't attack him and doesn't kill Androcles. And so he's yep. alive. Yay. Yeah, right. So uh, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia. Same song, second verse. Androcles is Greek. Alternate spelling is Androclus in Latin. Um, 
a little further down, uh, the tail can be compared to Aesop's The Lion and the Mouse in sure. both its general trend and its in its moral and its and its moral of the, re- re- the reciprocal nature of mercy. There you go. Um, and of course, you know when you're talking about Greek and Roman mythology, it's more or less the same thing. It's just mm-hmm. different names and different settings sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of confusing. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yes. Yes. True. It can be confusing. Yes. Okay, so uh, this episode is a typical enemy enemy mine storyline between Dr. Jackson and the Unus Chaka. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand each other. They have conflicting needs. They don't trust each other at first. They're suspicious. Then things change. Uh, I'm going to be honest that I've actually never seen enemy mine, so I don't know how to clearly compare and contrast uh, these two pieces of fiction. Um I, uh, yeah, I this, of course, is also, also similar to Star Trek: The Next Generation episode Darmok mm-hmm. uh, and Tanak in Tanagra, Dar- or Darmok and, and Jalad Sh- at Tanagra. Yeah. And Tanagra. Yep. Uh, yep. Shaka when the walls fell. Uh, you yes. Etc. 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 Uh, so I'm not going to talk a whole lot about uh, the Next Generation episode Darmok, but uh, you can. It's about uh, Picard and this captain. Uh, on a planet, uh, fighting a beast together, trying to learn each other's language. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it is a good episode. Some people call it one of the best episodes of Star Trek. Um, so there you go. Yeah, uh, I can see that. The, uh, the first soldier killed by the Unus Chaka at the very beginning was mm-hmm. named Loader. Uh, and I don't know if you recall, but in the episode The Other Side, we met... Uh, Anne Marie Loder, who played uh, Pharrell, one of the Urandan officers. And Anne Marie Loder is the girlfriend, fiance, now currently wife of Peter DeLuise. Uh, and so that's where the name for Loder came for this, act, this so, character. So, so, whenever I learn these types of facts, I always find it very weird because the writer and director of this episode has a girlfriend. With a last name, and he gives that last name to a character that dies. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so uh, is that an homage? Uh, what? <laughs> I, I don't know for sure. Um, but uh, Peter DeLuise was on the commentary, and we'll talk a little bit more of that here in just a minute. Okay. Um, and, and he said that his uh, father-in-law, although it, you know it would be his girlfriend's father at the time, yeah, sure, uh, just found it funny and laughed. So. I, 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 and so I completely chalk up that that my response, my emotive response. I'm willing to be like, no, no, no. People that are people that are writing and performing this stuff like that, that, that totally fine, totally above board. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So all good. Yeah, uh, there was another character, Hawkins, in this. Uh, he would have been the uh, the leader of SG11. Uh, he mm-hmm. was named mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. a character in, I believe, Predator. Uh, however, there was also a couple of people in the crew, one named Hawkins and one named Hawking, uh, mm-hmm. and and they both kind of thought that that maybe the character was named after them, but no, that, in fact, uh, uh, Peter said that it was named after the, the character from Predator. So, yep. there you go. A gotcha. <laughs> um, couple of the things that I learned about, that I thought, found fascinating in the commentary as I was watching it earlier today, mm-hmm. uh, was the cave art. So when you're in the cave and you see all of the, the markings on the wall, mm-hmm. um, 
those markings actually tell the story of the Gua'uld on this planet and their interaction mm-hmm. with the Unas, from mm-hmm. being eggs to actually being you know, some some uh, Unas being taken over by the Gua'uld and such. So there there is actually a, a shared history and story that's being told through those cave paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that happens before you see finally the picture of the Unas carrying away a human, uh, yeah. which is versus Daniel. Um, and I, I had never. I noticed that there were clearly something on the wall there, but I hadn't been able to pick out because it's dark enough what it actually was until yeah, precisely. Uh, yeah, uh, Peter talked about it on the commentary, and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It, and it just builds the depth of of this culture that he's building. Also, in that cave at the end, when you see a whole bunch of Unas running around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there were only two actors in costume. Yeah, there was Dion Johnstone playing Chaka, mm-hmm. and then of course uh, the guy playing the elder, uh, uh, the elder Unas. Yep. And uh, they just shot them those two actors in different costumes with with uh, you know different uh, body positionings and whatnot several yep. times, and then superimposed those to make that happen there. It did, like, yeah, it did have a look. Yeah, it had a look of superimposition on it, and I was, I, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I let that one completely pass. Um, making that much prosthetic and getting ten people in costume is daunting and expensive, and I get it. Yep. Yep. Um, and then finally, this ty- this episode in different languages. In French, they call it primitives. Uh, Czech, mm-hmm. they call it the first hosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, most other ones call it the first ones. The Germans just say the unas. <laughs> the unas. <laughs> Leave it to the yep. Germans to be to the- right on the nose. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what? It is what it is. Das Unas is right there on the tin. The Unas. Oh, unas, unas is plural. And the the uh, definitive article in plural is D, not das. Das Thank you. is Thank you a, for my German uh, lesson. singular. Gotcha. D is also feminine, I think. There die das. D. Yeah, yeah. There it is. <laughs> I did take German. <laughs> I, I do remember a couple of pieces here and there. <laughs> <laughs> this is good okay. stuff. All right. Shall we dig into the synopsis for the first ones? Yes, let's do it. All right, here we go. Jackson really is an archaeologist. And by archaeologist, we mean paleontologist, which he isn't, but yeah. that's okay because what's better than digging in dirt with primordial Gua'uld? There was definitely a moment where I was sitting there like, wait a second. <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're, you're in your wrong field there, big guy. Anyway, but carrying on. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so this appears to be the planet where the Gua'uld evolved, and they have found a remarkable specimen. What's special about this specimen? This Gua'uld queen fossil doesn't seem to have any Naquita in her system, and she appears to be predatory rather than parasitic in nature. Ooh. Dr. Rothman is also digging in the dirt with Dr. Jackson, and Rothman names the Gua'uld queen Cleo. Chloe. Not Cleo, Chloe. I think. Whatever. Yeah. No, wasn't it Cleo? Maybe it was Cleo. His names are Cleopatra. Cleopatra. And yeah, it was Cleo. Cleo. Suddenly, their campsite is attacked by some unknown creature. Loder is killed and Daniel is knocked out and dragged off. SG-11 makes chase. 
back on Earth, the Stargate opens up. No one was expecting a wormhole at this time, and when SG-11's IDC comes through, they comment that A, Daniel's with SG-11, and B, they weren't due to check in for several days. Hammond orders the iris opened, and Dr. Rothman is the only one who steps through the gate. He's winded. Gasping, he reports that Loader is dead and that Daniel has been taken by a creature, and he offers one more thing. The creature was an Unus, the first hosts of the Goa'uld. O'Neill immediately requests a search and rescue team with SG-1 and SG-2, and he wants to break out the F-9P-90 personal defense weapons. Hammond agrees. SG-1 and SG-2 arrive on the planet, but they cannot make radio contact with SG-11 or with Daniel. They eventually make it to the base camp, but it is deserted. They find the body of Loader, as well as several bullet casings. Is that the right word? I don't know. I don't know anything about guns, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Or don't. Whatever. (laughs) Your choice. Anyway, back to the story. Not long after, Major Hawkins, the leader of SG-11, is found. He's dazed and seems unable to fully process what has happened. He believes the rest of his team is dead. Now let's get back to Daniel and that Unas. Yep, it was an Unas who took Jackson. He appears to be a younger Unas, and he's on a mission. He's moving at a pace that exhausts Daniel. Tied up with a rope at his wrists, the archaeologist is dragged along. Finally, Daniel decides he's gone too far and declares that he's going to fall over now. And he does. Kind of foolishly, kind of weird, but that's okay. He falls over. (laughs) The Unas doesn't look pleased, but pauses watching the human. Daniel pulls out the radio and tries to call for help, but the Unos is displeased and slaps the radio away. The march must continue. The two come upon a small body of water. The Unos stops, sits, and appears to pray or chant or or something. Daniel is glad for the respite. Slowly, he pulls out his tape recorder and begins to record notes. Hopefully, he'll be able to use them later, and if not, maybe someone else will find them and use them. The Unos isn't overly pleased with Daniel's talking, but he doesn't take the recorder away. While chanting, the Unos is spooked when he sees the UAV flying overhead. Daniel appears to be able to calm him down. Communication seems like it might actually be possible. Maybe. Before the march continues, however, Daniel requests some water. The Unos agrees, but then instructs Daniel on the correct method. Scoop the water in your hand. Don't stick your face in the water like a crazy animal. No, (laughs) scoop the water with your hand. The Unus lets go of the leash so that Daniel can drink. He cleans up his face. He takes a few sips of water before bolting in the other direction, and the Unus gives chase. Daniel eventually appears pinned between the water and the Unus. Daniel takes to the water. The Unus seems scared of the water. Suddenly, Daniel sees something swimming fast toward him. Choosing which devil to deal with, Daniel scrambles back to the devil he knows, to the shore, and the Unus. Did you see that little connection there? I made that with the other episode there in, in Dion Johnstone? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes. Well uh, done. He gets to shore before he's caught by whatever is swimming toward him, but that whatever springs from the water and attacks. The Unus snags it out of midair, pretty impressive, and tears it in two. It is a good old symbiote. The Unus marks Daniel by smearing the good old blood across his face. And the march continues. They come to a cave and rest there by a fire. The Unus cooks up the gold and offers the roasted head to Daniel. Nan. Ka. Nan. <laughs> Ka. <laughs> Nan. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's play catch with the symbiote head. Oops, I <laughs> fell in the fire. <laughs> but look, I have an energy bar. Mmm. Nan. 
Caw! Uh, don't say ca till you've tried it! Oh, the Unas appears to like the energy bar. Mm. Ah, boni. Boni way! way. <laughs> Daniel is allowed to explore the cave. He discovers pictographs on its wall depicting various rites of passage. And he begins to piece things together. But things don't look good. Daniel has been marked for death. Meanwhile, the rescue team is still searching for Daniel. Carter suggests that they stop to rest. O'Neill agrees and takes first watch. The colonel is suspicious of Hawkins' recent behavior slash mental lapses, and he asks Rothman if he thinks anything is wrong with him. Rothman doesn't think so, but he's uncertain. People are frankly too recent for him to understand. Not far away, Hawkins is lying down. He opens his eyes, and they flash. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. The next morning, Tilk discovers that the waters are teeming with gold. Recognizing the danger, he insists that the rest of the team relinquish their weapons. Any one of them may have become infested with a ghoul during their watch. O'Neill agrees with Teal'c's assessment and orders everyone to follow Teal'c's directions. They are bound hand and foot. Teal'c will find Daniel Jackson on his own. Not long later, O'Neill sarcastically asks everyone, All right, anyone with a snake in their head, raise your hand. And Hawkins, as if on cue, manages to break the bonds on his wrists and raises his hand. He picks up a P90 and is about to shoot O'Neill. O'Neill is crying out, Teal'c! 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 When Teal'c comes out of the nearby woods and fires multiple shots from his staff weapon into Hawkins's back. The day is saved. Hooray! Tilk cuts everyone's bonds, explaining that he knew that if any of them had been taken by a ghoul, he would have been strong enough to break the bonds. However, as Tilk cuts Rothman's bonds, he sees that Rothman too has blood on his wrists. But before he can react, Rothman knocks him back and grabs the staff weapon. He manages to shoot Captain Griff in the shoulder before O'Neill takes him down with a P90. SG-1 continue their quest to find Daniel, while the rest of the group stays behind to bury the dead and return to the, to the Stargate. When Daniel wakes up the next morning, his captor is still asleep. He briefly considers bashing in the Unus's skull with a large rock, but he cannot bring himself to do it. The Unus wakes and realizes what had happened. The, Unus, the Unus's hand appears to be bleeding, apparently from a gunshot wound from earlier, and Daniel offers to help him with his injury. He removes the bolt, whereupon he attempts to ask for his freedom. Perhaps they can be friends now. Despite the friendly rapport, the Unus does not free the archaeologist and instead takes him further into the cave. Daniel makes markings on the walls as they go, hoping someone will be able to see them and follow. It turns out that the Unas is taking him to another Unas, the alpha male. The older Unas starts for Daniel, but Daniel's captor intercedes, apparently trying to convince him that Daniel you know, is smart and can be part of the tribe. Now, this slows the Alpha as he considers the possibility. During this time SG-1 arrives, Daniel tells them not to shoot. They hold their action. Daniel hopes this can be resolved without anyone, especially himself, getting killed. But the Alpha roars loudly, taking control of the cave. He is about to strike Daniel, but Daniel cries out, Ka! In And I'm not in... Uh, he, I'm not danger. Uh, please don't kill me, he says. The Alpha pauses for just a moment. Daniel uses words, but he attacks anyway. SG-1 begins to fire on the Alpha. Daniel's Unus friend intercedes and challenges the Alpha. 
Daniel will not be harmed. There is a fight. The Alpha is killed. Daniel's Una's friend roars, and he becomes the new Alpha. He invites Daniel to join the tribe. Daniel, Daniel apologizes and returns home with his SG-1 friends. But maybe one day he can return to renew their friendship. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. The first ones. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? So the first thing that I want to say is something that I kept to myself when you were going through the guest actors. I think that Dion Johnstone should have gotten an Emmy for this one. For real. Like, I was really impressed with the acting through the prosthetics. Uh, yes. There was a lot of subtlety in that face, which was, I was sitting there like, man, they really did a good job with the makeup to, to let that get through. Um, and, you know, it could very well be that uh, it's true that they did do a good job with the makeup, but it also might have just been tough to act through that makeup. And Johnstone did a fantastic job. Um, I really liked this story. Uh, at the at the conclusion of it, I was kind of thinking about how many chevrons to give it, and I won't I won't I won't give away the farm, but like it's you know I enjoyed this one. So there's a lot of backstory stuff which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, understanding more about the evolution of the Gould is wonderful. Um, seeing that there has been a, a continuation of the evolution, um, such that you know there are are Gould in 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 waters. Uh, and you know Unas uh, that that resisted uh, assimilation. Um, you know it's really it's really fascinating. It's uh, it, it, that scene in the cave with the cave paintings. I had a suspicion that there was an awful lot of information on those walls, uh, not just random drawings. And uh, I I frankly I enjoy it when when shows and movies just sort of give me a bit of a tease and then just don't really dwell on it very long. But they thought about it before putting that set to set together. And so, you know, it's actual information in there. It's just information that is uh, being hidden away intentionally uh, as, as, as a tantalizing tease. It's, I, you know, it's fantastic. Um, the story itself was pretty straightforward. Um, I did have a bit of a moment where, uh, what was it? There was a couple moments where I was a little incredulous, but it was fine. Um, the, you know, the, the challenge for supremacy at the end was a little, it was a little tidy, um, but you know, whatever, it's okay. Uh, it had to resolve in 15 seconds anyway. And there was something in the middle, which kind of made me kind of turn my nose and I can't recall. Maybe I will later. Um, it wasn't bad, but it was just these little moments that were kind of keeping it from being sublime. Um, mm-hmm. which might've been a bit of a challenge anyway, because this story, like I said, I mean, like I enjoyed the story. I enjoy stories like this. Um, uh, you know, two, two who, who are on, you know, two folks who are on some form of misunderstanding coming together and actually recognizing that they have more in common than not. I, I'm a sucker for those stories. I, so this one was, I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, lots of other things around it. Like Rothman. So Rothman's demise, um, I thought was just a little, um, a little bit of a bummer. And what do I mean by that? It's not so much that I got attached to the Rothman character, but more along the lines of that towards the beginning of the episode, I was saying to myself, you know what? I'm kind of glad that we're seeing more of Rothman, you know, like mm-hmm. enjoying the character development. You know, there's still a long way to go, but you know, he's, he's, he's an enjoyable character. And, and I like, uh, I like that we're seeing a little bit more of him and, Oh wait, 
I guess I won't be seeing any more of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it happened in this episode. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I, I, I kind of feel for the actor because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know firsthand, but I suspect that uh, going from uh, having guest actor status to being a guest actor on the regular is pretty nice because that means your paycheck gets a lot more consistent. And so to have a few more showings of this character only to have him killed off here, like, it's like, yeah. well, I guess that's the end of that actor's run with Stargate until further notice, like in some other form. Um so that was a little bit of a bummer, but not quite in the way of an emotional like, no, Rothman, but more along the lines of like, oh, wait a minute. I was I was just starting to enjoy seeing him. So, yeah, uh, you know, in that yeah. moment, if you're going to play that moment the way you would expect it to play out, which is how it played out, somebody would need ha- need to have been that second go old. And yeah, um, yeah, Rothman makes the most choice. The best I mean, choice, probably. Eh, um, yeah, I think that's debatable. But on the other hand, like, no, a reasonable person could say, you, you know, you need it to be Rothman so that you have a little bit of an emotional investiture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, the other thing is, like, why were they burying the dead on the planet? Like, why were they not taking them back? Um, well, who knows what they did. But they were going to yeah, take care yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They deserve a decent burial. Uh. Yeah, so that's generally where I'm going with this one. What do you think? How how do you like this one? I like this episode. I'm just plain out say it. I like this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like you, I I like learning more about the backstory of the Ghoul Wold. It it uh, just kind of helps uh, flesh out the the world there. Um, we established that the Unas were uh part of this whole process and now we get to learn more about the unas and we get to learn uh who they are and and uh, again it fleshes out more of the world um uh you know that's that's exciting to me uh for for a show uh you know the the uh there are two parts of the story there there was the daniel shaka story mm-hmm. uh which i thought was great because you got to see uh, Dion Johnstone act as chops off without being able to say any significant words. Yeah, and yeah, doing yeah. through a major prosthetic on his face. Mm-hmm. Frankly, on his entire body, he was wearing an incomplete suit for that entire yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, you also have Doctor Jackson, Michael Shanks, acting his butt off there mm-hmm. uh, because he's got to hold two ends of that conversation. And do it right. in a way that right. sounds natural, sounds reasonable, that also gets the story along to the audience. And mm-hmm. it is done superbly, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then the creative ways uh, that uh, Peter DeLuise as a writer um, and Brad Wright as the, the one who did some rewrites with it, because that's what the executive producers do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but... Uh, uh, you know, to to get the the tape recorder out there and and to use that as a means of communicating in a very fluid, normal, expected way for for somebody like this to have um, uh, it works really, really well. The mm-hmm. other side of the story then is the chase with with uh, with the rest of SG one and SG two. Um, it's a, this this side here for me is a little bit clunkier. Uh, it's the B story. Um, Right, you know, right. it's not as fleshed out as much. Um, 
we we get the Hawkins being a little bit shell shocked, then he turns out to be a ghoul, and then he dies. Uh, Rothman, uh, but you did get that great conversation between Rothman and uh, uh, O'Neill at night mm-hmm. as they were talking about Hawkins and whether he's gone weird or not, mm-hmm. uh, which I find delightful. Um, and then of course, so you know, both of those stories storylines are really really strong, and you get. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in all of Stargate mm-hmm. is Chaka and Daniel by the fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got the, the Gua-Wooled head uh, being cooked, yep. um, which actually by itself really signifies a significant uh, reality about the Unas. Um, they Not only do, do they make fire... But they cook their yes. food. Yes, uh, that is, uh, that's a big deal. Yes, um, for for that that species and this evolutionary uh, line uh, mm-hmm. for who these these people are. Uh, but then, of course, the whole non ka non ka. Uh, you know, don't say ka till you've tried it. That has become part of my vernacular uh, <laughs> in regular conversation. Uh, I am certain. Uh, whether you recognize it or remember it or not, uh, I used that phrase at least a few times when we were both living uh, in Chicago mm-hmm. 10 years ago plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't remember you saying it, but I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that's just... I, I find that acting, that, that playoff between those two characters just absolutely yep. delightful. Uh, the the bonding over an energy bar, the the nod to the original movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's just wonderful. Um, so I, as you were as you yeah. were talking about that one, I was realizing that I think so, you know, here here I go being a critic. Um, I think I, I can think of a way on how this episode would have been better. Um, okay. And that would have been to get rid of the B story altogether. Now, I recognize that I'm basically asking Michael Shanks and Gian Johnstone to carry an entire 40 something minute episode, which is a big deal. Um, You're also asking the title character, you know, the one whose name appears before the the, the name of the, the series, to yes. not be in anything. Yes. Um, uh, no, he'd be at the end. Um, oh. Yeah, they'd show up at the end. But the concept of having. Uh, a 40 minute story where all of this information is being all the information that we ended up learning is uh, revealed through internal monologue. Well, not internal, right? But you know, like um, Jackson talking to himself or talking to uh, Chaka, right? But you know, in that, in that conversational way where he's kind of putting everything together and to have the relationship grow throughout the whole episode, like they, those two could have done it. And it would have been a compelling story, um, you know. It 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 and and we could have had SG one rescue them at the end, right? Because it would have been plainly obvious and completely plausible that that meanwhile, uh, outside of our vision, SG one has been trying to find Daniel. All this, you know what I mean? Like it would have been totally like, yeah, sure, that makes a ton of sense. We didn't need to see them searching for Daniel. We could have seen them at the end rescuing Daniel, and it would have been like, yeah, because they were searching for him because that's what they would do. Um, and that would have given us more time to let these two characters really kind of marinate and brew and develop, mm-hmm. which, um, so now my brain was like, yeah, but 
maybe that wouldn't have been as awesome as I think it would have been. Maybe this is just the right amount of character exposition that had happened. You know what I mean? Like trust, trust in Peter DeLuise's ability to tell a story. Um, yeah. If, if it would have been better with just the two of them, he probably would have found a way to make it just the two of them. Um, you know, it, but, it's interesting as you were talking there because I was going to push back from your idea. And it's like, okay, I would love to see more of of Jackson and Chaka and their yeah. their conversations. That, um, but if we really didn't have anything of the other team and they showed up at the climax of it to uh, participate in the saving of the day, yeah. um, that would have felt um, out of place. We needed something. I suppose, but it wasn't really them who saved the day. Well, no, uh, but but if they showed up in that moment, you're like, oh, well, that's convenient. I mean, it's already convenient oh. storytelling as it is. But if you see okay. nothing of that at all, yeah, um, you know, perhaps you could have. Um, uh, you wouldn't necessarily have had to have the the threat of the the Gulwuld attacking them, um, and so then you could have trimmed that down a little bit to give more time for for mm. Jackson and Chaka. Uh, mm-hmm. On the flip side, though, uh, that establishes some of the threat that uh, leads to some of the storyline and some of the backstory of the Unas yeah, tribe themselves. True. true. So, yes. Uh, I think I, it would have been possible to explore all those ideas. I, so, very, very narrowly, I technically disagree, but yeah, I absolutely can see uh, your your point and like yeah and it works you know like yeah. I think that technically you could successfully tell the story with just the two of them and it wouldn't feel bad it would be it would be a little different however that wasn't the story as it was and as I mentioned um, how about I just get off my high horse and trust that Peter DeLuise knows how to tell a television story better than I do because it's his <laughs> job um, I'll yeah. just say this I think that that you could pull that off and it would be really well, but you'd have to rewrite the ending basically so that uh, Jackson walks out of the cave and then runs into SG-1 yeah, okay. and not yeah, have them in the cave there. Uh, yeah. I think that it would be very dissatisfying uh, if in that climax moment uh, SG-1 appears just then at that point in time. And frankly, if they hadn't pulled out those P90s and shot up the Alpha, it's highly unlikely that Chaka would have actually been able to beat the Alpha. Yeah, and that was another thing that was actually that that didn't sit very well with me. It wasn't terrible, but um, there was a moment where I was kind of jamming on uh, a little bit of the Prime Directive aspect. Uh, part of me wanted that fight to be broken up. And then part of me was like, no, no, that's that's kind of a level of interference. And yeah, technically we're interfering like crazy. And also we gave Shaka a big advantage by wounding the Alpha. Um, so it doesn't hold a whole lot of water. But on the other hand, uh, it, it there was a little bit of of sort of, I don't know how to best describe it, sort of like a, a, a quiet respect of letting a culture do its thing. Right, like we're not gonna jump in and try to be like, hey, 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 break up this fight and uh, find a peaceful way to exchange power, like maybe hold an election or something, um, <laughs> uh, you know. And so in that respect, like you know, it, it's very plausible or respectable. I don't know. It, it, but the fact that uh, th- that it transpired like that was a little bit 
a little bit convenient. It was just a little bit convenient, but not so bad. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, as, as for the interference and whatnot, uh, SG-1 provides as minimal interference as one could possibly get in that situation. Um, well, almost. Uh, I was going to say. Jack, like... O'Neill is going to, if if Alpha Unas begins to swing at Jackson, he's True. going to fire if he yes. can. Uh, period. Yes. Um, and then as soon as Alpha Unas is stunned sufficiently that uh, he provides some space for Jackson, he stops. Yeah. Um, and then immediately Chaka jumps in there and takes things over. And now they're just sitting there like, huh, whoa. Uh, I, there's nothing I can do at that point in time. I just got to watch and let this thing play out at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't take long. I mean, it's a it's a quick, quick it's fight. It's a very quick fight. Yes, it is. Uh, and, and part of that is because of time. Yes. obviously but uh um yeah there you go and maybe that's you know honestly maybe that that um the speed of that fight that actually now that i'm thinking about it might be why i'm thinking that was a little unfair um but again n- n- no it it was 15 seconds worth of fight footage because they had you know it's a 42 minute show and you had to wrap it up and you're running out of time um right. i the viewer brent brent as viewer would probably feel a tad differently about the outcome and a little more satisfied with shaka becoming the alpha if it appeared to be more of a of an effort um you know give me more time with 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 that fight going on and show me uh, show me that Shaka is 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 succeeding and and is worthy of it. You know what I mean, like that kind of thing. But yeah, it, again, well, this is me being real real precious. It's it's fine. That it was a, it was an all right moment. Well, um, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I've already spoiled that we'll see Chaka again. Yay! Okay, so um, recognizing that little bit of information, um, uh. Chaka is not going to stay the alpha if he's not worthy of being the alpha. Oh, well, yeah, okay, fine, fair, yep, agreed. So, um, we'll just have to wait and see to see exactly how that plays out. And I'm kind of excited. So, uh, yeah, you did let that slip, and um, but out of all the spoilers in the world, that's not the worst one. Um, because it ended with a promise of seeing each other again. And, yeah. and you know, uh, it... it in the same way that uh, the promise of seeing, you know, you know, Grandpa, Grandpa, I can't remember his last name, Grandpa so-and-so in the uh, Crystal Skull, uh, that has been spoiled, that that will not happen, and I'm grumpy about that. Um, at the end of this episode, I was still having the same expectation of seeing a character that I actually enjoyed watching develop, and right. now I get to, and there's a promise that I will see this character again. So, you know, what we have established is that SG-1 is not afraid to come to the end of an episode and say, promise to see you again later. And sometimes that's true, and sometimes it's false. So now you don't know for sure which way to go. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, And let me just own it right now. If I was watching this uh, in real time, uh, you know, week after week, uh, without somebody who knows the future, and... uh, we get to the end of the series and I doubt I would remember, Oh, what about so-and-so? Wait a minute. What about so-and-so? I might, I might, might've gotten to the end of me. Like, wait a minute. What about grandpa archeology? 
Wait a minute. What about uh, what about O'Neill's almost wife? Uh, in those, what was it? Hundred days? Was that the yeah. episode? Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's some storylines out there that I would like to, to see more of, and there was a bit of a promise of seeing them again, whether or not we do or not. Um. Yeah, that's just me rambling now. Cool. It'd be okay. It's fine. all right. So Brent, um, yes. earlier this week we got a couple of questions from a listener. Oh, yes. Um, about okay. this episode. Uh, one is, uh, what do you think of the homage to the 1985 movie Enemy Mine? Uh, for me, like I mentioned earlier, I've never actually seen Enemy Mine. Uh, I'm familiar enough with the basics of the story, and I know that that was on Peter DeLuise's mind as he was creating this story, so I know that there's those connections. But I can't... Uh, I can't comment on that because I haven't seen the original Enemy Mine uh, to be able to make that comment. But so, uh, I open the stage for for you. I also have not seen the movie Enemy Mine. I am currently going to take a look. Oh, wow. It's a sci-fi. I didn't know that. Um, taking a look to see where I can watch it. Oh, wow. There's lots of places that I can watch it, and it's relatively inexpensive. Okay. Um, I tell you what. I'll do a little homework. This week, I will watch this movie. And uh, if we can carve out a little bit of time next week, I'd be happy to answer the question about All what right. I think about the homage. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, I will see what I can do about watching the movie. Uh, after after we get off air, Brent, we can talk more about where you can watch it and what we can do about that. So, uh, For anybody listening who wants to follow along, there's this website called justwatch.com. And it allows a person to understand where content is available for streaming, renting, or buying. Uh, I pull up Enemy Mine, and I can see it's available for streaming on HBO Now, HBO Go, Direct, DirecTV, Amazon Cinemax, and HBO Now on Amazon. You can rent it on the Microsoft Store, or YouTube, Google Play, Apple, blah, uh, Fandango Now, Vudu, and DirecTV. Or you can buy it from all of those places plus, oh, it's just in a different order. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So, Lots of options. Uh, the other question here, and this is one we probably can chew on a little bit, is how do the Unas rank among Stargate alien species? How do the Unas rank among Stargate alien species? We have only met um, these uh, the I'll call these guys the proto-Unas, even though that's not quite right, but um, primitive Unas, and we have met primitive uh, cavemeny dudes based off of the tincture or whatever. What was going on in um, uh, Broca Divide? Um, uh, there was some sort of virus that was, was that involving it? people. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Um, let's see. Have we met any other genuinely primitive species? Well, we don't have to necessarily limit it to True, primitive species. But that's my this start just, point. Um, primitive in in that capacity? I don't think so. Probably not. And then you got the host of other alien species. Um, uh, you know, I'm just kind of I, I, I'm just doing a mental rolodex of their faces right now, and not really the stories. I'm just kind of kind of tossing through. Um, and then I got stuck uh, because I forgot that there was an Unos that was like the jailkeeper or whatever on that medieval planet. Yes. Uh, yep. Yeah. And uh, out of all of them, where do they? So, uh, 
I gotta be frank, I'm actually more interested in this alien species than in a lot of other alien species, and that's partly because of the differences. It makes a ton of sense, especially in a television show, that you want your alien species to be very relatable. They need to be sentient, they need to be speaking, they need to be speaking a language that we can understand as the viewer, and we need to have technological advances or motivations of ethics or whatever that's largely similar enough to our own so that we can feel like we have some kind of a relatable relatability you get it too far out of whack and you've got to really stretch your imagination to be able to sort of connect side note uh third book in the um three body problem series uh, uh uh set of books long books good books but in the third book there is a moment where you the reader are asked to get inside the consciousness of an alien species that is just completely different than humans. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, um, but you get back to back to the UNOS here. Like I am tantalizingly interested in these people because of a few reasons. Number one, uh, they are quite different. Uh, you know, sufficiently the same, but quite different in a, in, in a few other ways. And we weren't given an awful lot of information. So it's a mystery. That's fun. Thing number two, these Unas appear to be a natural predator of Gould, the larva, or well, the 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 the, the eels, um, and I find that kind of interesting, just from a just from an ecological point of view. Uh, but they're also at the same time uh, in danger from those because they precisely. can be taken over. Yes, so it's this parasite that is a food source, and it might not be like the food source. They might not be fishing for Gould, but. Um, it was just intriguing to me. It was, it was just a moment of uh, sort of seeing this universe just in another lens, um, just mm. purely ecological, like food chain lens. It, it was just it was just interesting uh, that that moment of showing that the, that this society has the capacity to tell stories uh, and has a story, uh, you know, it has a history of their own, and uh, that story is up on that cave wall. And we only saw it for just a brief moment is also interesting to me. So it's like there's an awful lot about them that's really interesting and tantalizing, meaning it's quite they're quite high up on my ranking, uh, even compared to some of the other alien species that we have had much more communication with. Um, uh, now, I can't remember the name of the alien species with the red light, blue light again to the Tolan, the Tolan, the Tolan, the Tolan, right? Like the Tolan are intriguing because they have sophisticated weaponry and technology. But as far as like Brent wanting to know more about the Tolan, mm, meh, <laughs> uh, you know, give me a moment where you start getting into their mythology or get into their, uh, you know, into their story as a society. And then I might get caught up again, but and it's fine. I mean, like there's plenty of opportunity for that. And also we don't have to, um, you know, the, the Tolan are a powerful alien species that we have contact with and might be a resource in defeating our enemies. Like I get, I get it. I like where they go. Um, but yeah, that's a long winded way of saying that. I like them. I like these Unas. <laughs> so what, what about you, Zach? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think I would agree with your assessment. Um, they are one of the more um, intriguing alien species that we've come across. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
when you look at the the Tolan, they're human fundamentally, and so then you can ask yourself the question: Are they really right. alien or not? That that's a legitimate question. Uh, I think overall, when we talk about this, they're worth keep considering the Tolan and and the Chokra as well, and the Guauld. Um, we have actually met uh, well, we met the fish dude in the one we episode the fish Fire dude. in the Water, mm-hmm. um, who was truly an alien. Uh, yep. We don't meet many truly alien creatures. Uh, last week we had those water alien creatures in you know Watergate. Yep. Um, but of all of those truly alien species, this one so far at least uh, is easily the most uh, engaging and and uh, I don't know the one that 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 for me I want to learn more about. I'm curious as to more about uh, who these Unas are and how they mm-hmm. live and how they operate and what's their social structure and and all of that stuff. And uh, uh, this conversation has actually made me even more curious yeah. about some of those things. Um, so and in that regard, just... it's easily one of the top. Um, they're not going to be the type of alien that's going to be um, a significant player in in developing technology. Right. Um, well, I mean, yeah. I agree. But again, just even that subtle nod of eating a ghoul over fire. Uh, well, not eating over fire, cooking over fire and then eating it. Um, like, it's just, um, I guess what I'm driving at is that it is a, it is a very simple display of hierarchy that is not obvious. Um, up until now, the Gwuld are basically at the top of the food chain. Granted, they need a meat suit to get their job done, but uh, you know, once once they acquire the sufficient mode of transportation, they are a formidable uh, foe. Um, right. I like to bag on them quite a lot because they seem to be thwarted by you know primitive explosives and kinetic energy weapons pretty easily but um you know nominally uh they are the bad guys um and uh, even in this episode alone having a bit more exposition about the ghoul themselves is interesting there 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 is gonna come a point if the show goes into it at all where my empathy is gonna kick in and i'm gonna want to know their story right now they're the bad guys and so they get to stay the bad guys and that's fine and the story that i know of them so far is a little bit interesting or let me rephrase that there's a little bit of information um and it nominally spreads over a long amount of time. But as far as their societal evolution is concerned, it might as well have been yesterday. Like the stories from thousands of years ago make the ghoul world sound like they have not it changed at all in uh, in tens of millennia. And which is exactly the story that, that, that I'm supposed to be hearing right now. And I want to know how did they get there? Like when they started off in this planet and took over the unas like yeah they were they were manipulative violent um egomaniac or, you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um so therefore that's where their society trended uh but knowing more about their history is something that i'm interested in exploring whether we do or not sure um i do need to make sure that i mention uh the asgard um 
Of course. And the Knox as alien of races um, in this conversation, because I'm certain that if I didn't at least say those two words, those two somebody names, would yell. Somebody would yell at me. So yeah. there, I said it. Um, and go ahead. Yeah, I'm just just pausing here. Um, the Knox, you know, they're interesting. Um, I I would put as far as a. Uh, a, a species that I want to know more about. I would put the Unas ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Asgard. Uh, there, that's a species that I would have to sit there and really wrestle with and decide which one of those I would want to know more about. Uh, I'm not sure I could even have that conversation um, without revealing what I know about both sure. of those already. Right. Yeah, moving forward. Uh. Thank you for mentioning the Asgard and the Nox. I was thinking of them as I was kind of going through my little Rolodex. Uh, the Asgard are currently, um, well, I don't know. I mean, they kind of started off as our saviors. Um, they were the ones that would kind of rush in and really help out at some really bad points. Um, and then we've returned the favor uh, through our clever ways. Um, so, you know, in that respect, that you know, we, we've kind of, put them a little bit off the pedestal a tad. And then the Knox are very much still on a pedestal, but a pedestal way over there and having nothing to do with what we've got going on over here. Super awesome. Super great. Super on their own, doing their own thing. Um, A joy to know that they exist, but for all intents and purposes, we might as well forget that they're around because you know, until further notice, they are not a part of our calculus. And so neither will these primitive Unas be either. But, um, you know, it's very clear. Well, I don't know. Okay, I was about to say it's very clear that, uh, you know, the Knox kind of don't want us around. Um, they like us, but, you know, that's, it's all good. Uh, and actually, I'm not, I, I, as I said that out loud, I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe that's Maybe that's a false assumption. But right now, yeah, these Unas are real interesting. I'll yep. freely admit that. All right. I have one more question for you. Uh, sure. This is a variation of one that, that, that Jack gave me. Um, putting on your prognostication hat, uh, where do you think we go with the Unas? Where do we think we go? Where do you think we, uh, with the stories of the Unas, what's next for the Unas? Half the reason why I'm so excited is because I actually don't know where we're going to go with this one. Right. Like okay. there's a piece of it that's pretty obvious that we want to come back and say, say, say hi more. Um, and if I were a betting man, I would say that this relationship with these Aboriginal Unas um, are, it's going to prove instrumental to our work against the Gould. Um, and I know I keep coming back to this ecological thing and it might be that like, I'm jumping up and down on something that's like on the nose later on. It's like, yeah, there's a reason why we were watching him eat them. It's that's because they eat them. La la la. You know, like, you know, it's, it's going to be like this great epic war and it's going to eat the ghoul. I don't know. Um, maybe not, but, uh, where do we think we go from here? Uh, where we're not going to go is that we're not going to go into a technological, you know, direction, Right. Like that's not going to happen. If anything, this is going to be probably intellectually satisfying unless that ecological thing kind of comes back. Hmm. Um, So that's my prediction about where we are right now with them. Cool. Cool. 
All right. So, Brent, we have talked quite a bit about the first ones. Yes. Uh, before we move on to our Chevron ratings, is there anything else that you need to uh, divulge? Do I need to divulge? No. Okay. There's nothing I need to admit at this time. All right. Then. <laughs> then I will ask you at this time yeah. to shift gears and share with not only me, but with our entire listening audience how many chevrons you will give the first ones. So when I was first starting to talk about this one, I admit, I started to admit that this is going to be a high chevron rating um, by saying I was, you know, I was starting to sort of say, am I going to give this? How many am I going to give? And and almost, uh, almost gave the farm away as to which two numbers I was oscillating on, which pretty sure everybody in the world knows which two numbers I'm going to be oscillating on right now. Um, there was just enough holding it back that I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I really liked it. I liked the acting a lot. Um, I liked the story. I liked the subtle nods. I liked that there was more information to be had and I, and, and it was thought through, but not revealed because we didn't need to, it just needed to be there. Um, gives us a hope for knowing more, uh, Actually talking this thing through makes me feel better about the episode, which is saying something because I was already feeling pretty good about it. Um, I think I'm going to break my own rule. I think I'm going to give this one a part score. I, <gasps> I can't bring myself to give it a seven. Um, it, you know, there was just not quite enough for me to be like, seriously, this is the best. This is this is super great. This is so great. There was just enough that was like, eh. Well, okay, okay. Moving along. Keep let's keep going to the good stuff. Uh, I'm gonna give this one a six point five. Um, uh, because six just doesn't feel enough. Like they did a good job on this one, and it was a lot of fun. Um, maybe maybe later I'll change my mind about this one, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go six and a half. Six and a half. All right. Um. Wow. I. I... I am stunned with your your point five there. I, I don't quite know what to do with that. <laughs> Is this my first part score? It might be. Uh, so you did give. Uh, now I'm blanking on what episode it was off the top of my head. Ergo, something, I think. something you down got there. Six seven five. Oh, so you gave that a gotcha. six and three quarters. Six and three quarters might as well be a seven, but for some reason might as well be a seven. Seven. And then we counted it as a seven for for the purposes of of predictions. Um, uh, six and a half. Wow. Um, I liked it. Yeah. Um, so I agree that it's not a perfect episode. Um, there are some weird things about it. Um, so it's not a seven. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's definitely in the six or six and a half range. Mm hmm. Um, and my cat just yelled at me. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> She's like, get on with it already. Get on with it. <laughs> okay, so uh, after mulling things over in my head, I am going to copy your score with a six <laughs> and a half. <laughs> now, I, I completely agree with that assessment, Zach. Oh, Absolutely. well, good. Good, 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 good. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Brent. Yes. We do have several uh, predictions. Oh, good. Um, 
both on uh, line on Facebook and in email. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, let's see here. We got okay. So we'll get to Jackson a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Jackie, Jacqueline. Uh, Hello, Jacqueline. She uh, hit this and right on the head last week with predicting yep. that both of us would give it four. She yep. says, this is a tricky one, but I'm going to say Brent will give it five chevrons and Zach will give mm-hmm. it four. Oh, okay. uh, and wow. Well, so we did not agree there. We clearly uh, liked it more than that. We did. Um, and then Julie, uh, coming mm-hmm. off for her great predictions last week, she also yes. got our predictions yes. right last week. She was not certain about this. She had no idea for sure where to go. She predicted five and a half for me and five from you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's uh, those predictions there. There's another one around here that I've got to find there. See, I like that we're keeping it. We're keeping it interesting. All right. Not getting too predictable. Uh, JD says it may Hi, be too early or won't be seen, but, but here's first one's ratings. He says also personal. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> I personally find this episode tracking <laughs> for the most part with some interesting bits that pop up from time to time. Zach will give it three and a half and Brent will give Whoa! it three. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so this one apparently uh, has some, well, some, uh, and, and difference totally, of opinions there. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. They, but, he goes on. Or yeah, they will love this episode for all of its rich character moments and incredible yep. plot twists and give it yep. sixes because I can't ever tell. <laughs> <laughs> Hedging your bets with the double with the there double prediction. There you go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So very wonderful. Wonderful, JD. Thank you very much mm-hmm. for that. Uh, those are the only ones that I found on Facebook. We do have some uh, emails. I also uh, uh, give you a moment to say uh, hi, Julie, because I, I'm trying to say hi to the people, because as you can clearly see, and I can't remember if I said hi to Julie or not. Ah, so. Well, okay. Hi, so Jacqueline, hi, next Julie, hi, is Jack. Jack was hi, Jack. the one who offered the questions for us. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice. He predicts that Brent will rate the first ones a four. Brent mm-hmm. does not seem to like these backstory setup episodes. Um, so there you go. Okay. Uh, if they're not done well, you don't like them. That's for sure. Zach's that's rating will be four and a true. half. Zach appreciates the backstory setup episodes more because he has a big picture view of the series. So he has a big picture of the series, mm-hmm. and it's generally mm-hmm. smarter, better looking than Brent. Ah, I see. I see. I'm not certain I uh, nah. agree with either of those. But, uh, okay, thank you. Um, suffice it to say, Jack, we both like it uh, a lot more than that. Uh, <laughs> he would rate this a three on his five point scale, which would translate to what about a seven Four. Or, or about a five and a half for us in a seven point scale. Yeah. Uh, this means that he likes the episode more than the average episode. So there you go. Yep. Well, we give it a six and a half. Super interesting. No, right. super super. I love this stuff. I, I, I love the variation of this mm-hmm. because you hear in these. Uh, just how different people who clearly love the show just think yes. differently about these various episodes. And I Caleb, really appreciate the the sort of the the, the rationale. Like I yeah. very much like the rationale. Yep. Uh, Caleb mm-hmm. posts. Hi, Caleb. Uh, the first ones was not the best episode. I did like Teal's skill shooting. 
That we didn't even yes. talk about that. That was pretty cool. No. Uh, I also find the world where the Gould came. Also, finding the world where the Gould came from. The rest, though, seemed mm-hmm. way too convenient that the Unas accepted Daniel so quickly, and that the clan was Agreed. okay with SG One helping kill their alpha male and immediately accept it. My predictions are four for both of us. That's valid. I, I hadn't quite put that to yeah. You know, uh, I, I was actually thinking about that, um, mm-hmm. and if this is in fact a primitive species, which it is, mm-hmm. uh, they may not have actually recognized that that SG-1 helped out Chaka. Uh, they heard bang, 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 bang. They heard lots of scary noises. Um, but, uh, you know, after that, the alpha male at that point in time still rose up and went on the offensive. Yeah. Um, and so I was just thinking that that probably from the rest of the clan's perspective, uh, Chaka just simply beat him. We know that the fact that Chaka was helped with that, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing that the rest of the clan didn't recognize it. Um, as for the way too quickly to find friends, uh, well, that totally depends on the personal makeup, uh, the personality makeup of Chaka himself uh, prior to this episode and then following this episode and such. Uh, we don't know that uh, other than from what we gather in this episode and based on the, my uh, interpersonal uh, relationship skills uh, with people. There are certainly mm-hmm. are people who uh, would make this type of turnaround this relatively quick. Uh, I find that plausible. I I like that it was brought up though because I can see sort of the other side of it where yeah they're primitive but they are still a people and uh, we often undervalue what folks we, we we think that our predecessors are dumber than they actually are so uh you know i think it's plausible that they saw sg1 open fire and recognized that it had an effect on the out you know what i mean like I, I, zach i also see your point uh and certainly for the purposes of the story uh the writers want us to to accept that they have been accepted um but i also kind of get the other side of the coin too of like yeah it was a little quick it was it was definitely there were some moments of convenience that were happening here for sure yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad he brought it up. Um, yeah. So, all right, we have one more prediction from David. Okay. Hi, David. Uh, he says, well, that happened. Another good but not great episode. So do these primordial ghouls not need a Jaffa for their larval form? Is there a really larval? Oh, yeah. Is there a really, really a larval form, or is it just a way for them to control the Jaffa? Hmm. That's an interesting question. (laughs) Uh, Have they always been evil and megalomaniacal? Uh, Was that an aspect of their evolution after taking the first host? Why didn't the Guawuld or Tok'ra come back here to get their relatives? Or did they forget about this planet? Or Hmm. maybe they just don't like to be reminded of the swamps of home? This episode really sets up more questions than they have answers for and is a bit Mm -hmm. frustrating if you think too hard on it. And Daniel, seriously, I was picking up more of the Unos language than you were, and you had the script. <laughs> <laughs> good point. <laughs> Very good point. Uh, he says, Brent, you'll give it four chevrons for unanswered questions. He'll give me, I give it four chevrons as well, not even a 0.5 bump. Not even a 0.5 bump. So I'm finding it really, so that's, um, 
I'm completely willing to admit that I might not be very consistent <laughs> with my rationale. <laughs> And on some days, an unanswered question just sticks in my craw and it results in terrible reviews. And on other days, an unanswered question is a tantalizing piece that is just inviting to be explored. And therefore, I give it a higher ranking. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just feeling better today or something. Julie, Julie didn't make a mention of this when she was like, I have no idea what's happening you may need to do some editing here. My cat is rubbing my microphone stand. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Vala. Why don't you uh, move along? <laughs> go, go on. Good to go know. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, there's that. Uh, <laughs> she's coming around the other side. We'll see what happens here. I'll okay. keep an ear out. Um, anyway, uh, Julie was saying that, yeah, it's hard to predict Brent's Ratings, because it really depends a lot on what his mood is. If he's in a good mood, he gives things higher ratings than when he's in a bad mood. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. It's very true. It is true. All right. Um, you know, so as for David's questions, uh, the idea of do they actually need a larval, the, the Jaffa to incubate yeah. the larval form? Right. Um, that's a fascinating question. Uh, it is fairly for me, uh, whatever is in those waters is a differently evolved Gua'uld yeah. than what we experience on a regular basis. Uh, I think a, that's, they apparently yeah. have some sort of wing, um, which we don't see clearly in uh, our everyday run-of-the-mill Gua'uld. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the issue of the Nakuda. These Gua'uld don't have the Nakuda. Um so, you know, that's another question in all of this. Um, so there's clearly some evolutionary uh, distancing that has happened here between those, uh, even if they are related. Um, yep. It is a legitimate question of why did the Gua Wool not come back here or did yep. they forget about it? That's a legitimate question. I don't have an answer for that. Um and it's also a really fascinating question is, is uh, are the larval ghoul just a means of controlling the Jaffa, or mm-hmm. do they actually need it for incubation purposes? Mm-hmm. Um, I think at some point in time they make some reference that having them incubate in the Jaffa makes them able to take on human hosts easier and more safely and securely. I think I read that or heard that in an episode sometime somewhere. Sure. But I, that that could also be me making stuff up. So, yeah. but it brings up. But I mean, but it's a wonderful question. At this point in the series, that question is valid. A very yeah. careful watcher will say, "Wait a minute, why are these why are these ghouls able to survive without a host? What's going on here?" Yeah, um, and I mean, you could potentially make the argument that uh, all of that has to do with the the divergence of. Yep. of uh, uh, evolutionary, uh, the evolution. It's uh, it's very tree. easy for a rational person to start coming up with answers. However, um, they represent possibilities in the story right now, not necessarily frustrating unanswered questions. Yeah. So um, we have that. So thank you very much, David, for, yeah. for that. And thank Thanks, you, David. everyone. Uh uh, thank you, everyone, for for those um, predictions. Uh, mm-hmm. keep, bring it, keep sending them in. We love them. Yeah, 
It's super fun. This is so fun. Yes. Okay, Brent, we got to move on. Okay. The next Moving episode on. is entitled mm-hmm. Scorched Earth. Uh-huh. And I ask you, what is Scorched Earth all about? Next time on Stargate SG-1. The SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world that's running out of time because their podcast has gone too long. They recognize (laughs) that there's a problem that is happening and they have to solve it fast. There's no faster way. Actually, that's a big lie. There's no faster way to make a complete statement that if a person's going to take over something, they're going to have to do it on their own than to scorch the earth. So the SG-1 team scorched the earth, and that's the end of the episode because we don't have time. (laughs) Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 as the SG-1 team solve a problem in five minutes with scorched earth. Well, that's just fascinating. Well, uh, you know, is is this going to be like a bonus episode of Stargate where it's only five minutes long? I am going to tell you right now that uh, the SGC does not scorch an earth. <gasps> is it our earth that gets scorched? Oh, I no. am going to, we're going to watch the promo and we're going to find out. Okay, sounds good. All right, are you ready? Yes. I am hitting go now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. We are especially honored today by the presence of those responsible for finding this planet for us and saving us from certain doom. Help me, please! You destroyed our whole village. You must all flee! Uh Conflict begins when another species begins terraforming a planet recently settled. Okay! Based on the ship's current speed, I estimate it will take approximately 26 hours to reach Adversary's village. I understand how you feel. Generations ago, our ancestors were kidnapped from their homeworld and taken away in giant ships. Since then, we have all prayed for a place that we could call home. We We must stay here and fight for it. With what? But is it too late for two civilizations in need? It's all next time Ooh. on Stargate SG-1. This looks kind of fun. Ooh. I'm looking forward to this one. That's pretty great. There you go. That is Scorched Earth. It doesn't uh, look like we'll they're going to solve the problem. We'll find out next if, time what happens. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited for that. All right. And thanks, Dave, um, for making those uh, promos. Yes. Super good. Yes. Yep. Thanks, Dave. Uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for sending in your predictions and your questions. Please do that. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Nice. You can find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking or on Facebook at with Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and Facebook group. Join us for some conversation. Uh, ask your questions. Pose your your uh, fan theories. Whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, get this going. Uh, by all means, if you have any questions about what's coming up with Scorched Earth, feel free to uh, email that to us, and uh, we'll do that. Uh, uh, you know, if you're adding predictions. Uh, to that, uh, it's helpful for us if those are in separate emails because I try to ignore the prediction emails until we get to them in the episode recording. Uh, yes. The the questions then I can uh, get ahead of time and make sure they're in our show notes appropriately. Yeah. Um, that's tweet. just a convenience for us. Or tweet them or whatever. Uh, if you tweet them, Brent, that's your job. That's my job. That's your job. Uh, or on Facebook, whatever it is. So uh, until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. 
And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. Goodbye. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>